Welcome back to Walking Away from Arcadia. We are here with another Storyteller Vault review. I, Victor, am here, and I'm here with my co-host, Simon Eichhornchen. And we are going to be reviewing The Memory of Trees. This is an interesting little Storyteller's Vault text. It was released by the guys over at Midnight Express Podcast. And they did mention that... If you go and listen to the episode that talks about this book, there's a discount. I have to admit, we didn't do that. We spend all of our... Oh, shit. <laughs> well, I mean, we spend our affiliate like drive through link on Storyteller Vault products to review. We could probably ask for free copies, but like, being a vault writer is hard, man. I've got affiliate money and nothing else to spend it on. I'm going to throw it at some vault creators. <laughs> So we did not look up the discount, and you now know where all of these vault reviews come from. So the pitch for The Memory of Trees is kind of interesting. It's three sort of mini campaign jumpstarts, and they're built a little bit differently than I've seen other jumpstarts and a little bit differently than each other, and they're all thematically tied to trees, although not in the same way, and some more than others. That's a very awkward elevator pitch, maybe more than a long elevator ride pitch. Simon, what was what was your first impulse when you started looking through the memory of trees? My first impression of memory of trees, I gotta say, it, it might be a little superficial, but the art is pretty good. Like, yeah, I like the art. It's it's got the right vibe for Changeling. It's pretty. Whoever did it did a pretty good job. Like better th better than me fucking around with Photoshop. I've done some fucking around with Photoshop. That that cover to my first fault project was an act of filter desperation. Yeah, they... no, my my overall feeling for this is that the first two campaigny artifact plot ideas are you know, it's weird. Like, I don't like that sort of a thing, but, like, this is the closest anything's ever gotten to being, like, just the right level of, like, here's some inspiration, here's a couple of concrete things, go Lego this together for me. Yeah, I felt very much the same way. The other thing that stood out to me about the art, when I first opened it, the layout is all black and white and the art is in color. And at first, I was like, oh, man, why didn't you use the color border? It's available in the, in the layout template. But as I read it, it kind of grew on me. The art is very vibrant, very clean and graphic. And it being in color with everything else being in black and white, which I've never seen in a White Wolf book before, it really kind of popped. I really liked it by the end of the book, even though it sort of put me off when I first opened it. Especially the, the art that's in, like, I don't know what the technical terms for any of these things are, but, like, cool tones and potato mid-range tones. Like, that fits the black and white pages, but also stands out from them in a really neat way. Yeah, I agree. The very beginning of the book is kind of an introduction. What is What is the concept? What is the pitch? They give you a couple pages of, well, why are we doing this? I will say, the introduction, the prose get a little purple there's a hemingway reference and it's clear that they were going very tactile with their writing intentionally 
And in places, it kind of worked. In places, I felt like it was a bit much. But the thing that I realized when I got to the end of that part of the book is I hadn't really seen anything else on the vault, which admittedly, I haven't read a ton of vault products, but I've I've bought a, a handful of them. And they've all been pretty standard on writing style. This was the first time I've seen a real attempt at a, a voice. I like the effort and I I like the execution in parts of it. It could have used a little bit of like pulling back here and there and clean up, but overall I thought it was well executed. You know, from a technical standpoint, it is better than many of the things I've read from the vault. Like most things that make it to the vault that are good, it could have used probably one or two more editing passes, but yeah, that's, that's outside of the pay range. Yeah, and I really feel like this is just a vault problem. The first thing I did for the vault, I went through, you edited it to death. I gave it a few proofing passes. I had one or two friends look over it. I finally did the layout, and I'd been working on the layout for a month and a half waiting on the art. I kind of walked away from it for a couple weeks while I waited on the final art pieces, and I went back with fresh eyes, and I just bled all over it. There was all kinds of stuff I had missed. And, you know, then I fixed all that. I sent it to someone for review, and they sent back a bunch of stuff I had missed. And it really made me realize copy editing is hard, and you don't make that much money from these things. So I definitely found typos. I found a couple places where, like, they fell into and out of their font. So less like copy editing and more just like a layout proof run. But none of them were egregious. Yeah, I don't think it impeded my understanding at any point. It just took me out of the flow. Yeah, a a little bit. And again, to be fair, you know, reviewing this for what it is, I've yet to find a vault product that didn't have that. I know Phoenix Rising had it, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, there's some products that have this problem. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In the grand scheme of what this product does, it's it's my biggest complaint, and it's a pretty minor one. So then I guess we can jump into the first of the three sort of vignette, chronicle jump starts. Ooh, yeah, and that's a good word. They're vignettes. They are. They're, they're kind of chronicle vignettes, campaign vignettes, I don't know, game, one-shot vignettes. And it's memory and dream, so I don't want to give away anything too big, but it centers around this tree on campus called the memory tree where people hang little artifacts that are meaningful to them it's sort of a campus tradition there may be a few supernatural things going on and there's a little bit of opening like story but mostly this vignette is just told through character backstories they just tell the backstory of every character in this setting and in the process of telling those backstories, they sort of construct the world. Then there's finally a write-up just on the memory tree and like a few paragraphs of straight-up plot hooks. But it's like 80% just character write-up, but they tell a story with it. It's a novel approach, and I found I kind of liked it. I really liked it. I think this was probably the strongest section of the book for me. Just because it did storytelling in a unique sort of way, like you said, through the back, the character backgrounds. All of the characters felt like they were constructed to be complete people. They weren't just like, this is a character that I wrote to make sure that this thing happens to the memory tree, which is the whole point. 
they're nuanced. They're troubled in some ways. Apart from one of them being having kind of a weird name that I'm not a fan of, like they're all really good. I also liked that they kind of nailed the well-intentioned she. Um, oh yeah, I, that was the best part. Oh, she's she's so good. I like that she's definitely not a villain. She's definitely well-intentioned. She wants to do right by the world. She just can't see past the fact that she has lived a privileged life and doesn't fucking get it. And I really, I'm so used to seeing nefarious allele villains or I'm truly a noble knight. And the approach to the she in this really avoided both of those pitfalls. And I Mm -hmm. appreciate that. I, I've never wanted to play Pete Buttigieg, but this character makes me want to play Pete Buttigieg. Oh, wow. That's a she metaphor right there. <laughs> I was in the Gifted and Talented program, and I can only empathize with people when somebody explains me to me how. Mm, yeah, thanks, Pete. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting setting. I also like that it feels... You know, and you kind of brought this up and that these are all very complete people, but the setting feels lived in. Like, I can imagine totally mortal, maybe briefly enchanted humans fitting right in. It feels a little more urban in the urban fantasy than the fantasy, which I think is kind of nice for Changeling on occasion. My my read-through on this one, I, I have no idea what actually inspired writing this section of the book, but it put me immediately in mind of... Tapping the Dream Tree by Charles DeLint, which is, it has a very similar setup. It's a very low-powered fantasy type thing. If it wasn't an influence, there must be many similar stories floating around. I could definitely see that. You know, at the very end of the chapter, just to kind of give a sum up, you get, after all these character write-ups, you get plot hooks, which are... You know, if anyone's read my attempt at a at a chronicle book for Mage, they kind of remind me of the one paragraph jump starts I gave in that book, where I wanted to give a wide variety with different starting paradigms, and it, it kind of feels like that. And the opener is just plot hooks. It's it makes for a nice, complete little package with starting points to use. So yeah, I I just think it's pretty much good all round. And then we have the middle of the three, Broken Saplings, which, again, without giving too much away, the focus is a tree. This is a little bit more fantasy, urban fantasy, because the tree is a, a Kubera. It's a, it's a dryad. This one, it also did the, like, telling the story through the character backgrounds thing. I don't know if it did it quite as well, because the... The tree itself is a character, and that feels like the center of it for me. But maybe that was just my read. I would agree. It doesn't quite capture that story through character quite as well. It also has like a section that's just about consequences and a section that, you know, what's going on. So it's a little bit less just character background. I would say this is a little closer to a normal Chronicle Jumpstart format, which I don't think is a a bad thing. It just isn't quite as as novel in structure as the first one. I like that the Kubera really didn't feel human at all. Again, not wanting to give away detail details, but they really nailed the 
I think I'm doing the right thing, and I don't understand consequences, because I'm a motherfucking tree. And I love I that. Liked, I also liked the troll character they wrote for this one, because when they were introduced, and I don't remember probably the tree's background, but when they were introduced, I was like, oh, here's the bad guy, and then I like, got a little bit farther in, I was like, oh, that was not what I expected, and I I get why we went in that direction, but it was not what I expected. <laughs> I really like that. They tap. They also tap tragedy really well in this one. And Changeling is so good at tragedy. And this one, you just look at the setup and you go, wow, you really shouldn't have done that. Totally see why you did that. That sucks. What the hell is going to happen now? And, you know, when you get to your plot hook options at the end, which they do something similar. They give some really nice ideas for the answer to what is gonna happen now. And it's, it again, it's a little more fantasy, but it feels lived in. It's centered in challenges and conflicts that are very human and impact the human world as well, which I appreciate. Yeah, I, again, I really just like this jumpstart. Like, if the first part is the most polished part of the book, this feels like the one that, like, probably needed one more pass just on content editing before it went out. But it's still really good. I would definitely agree with that. And I like the the character backgrounds that they give, and I like... Well, you like evil Peter Pan stories too. I, so. I do like evil Peter Pan stories. So, and and this 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 one isn't actually evil Peter Pan story, but this is toxically misinformed Peter Pan story. Which maybe I'm maybe I'm being a bit uh, I'm splitting hairs there, but little bit, li- little bit. They get into some really interesting content. But I think if we go too much farther in, we'll probably give away plot. And it was a fun yeah. one to read, so I don't want to do that. At least Metanoia, and uh, yeah, I- I'll let you do this. I'll let you do this because I think you have a better grasp of it than I do. Uh, that that is that is an assumption. It is Met- an assumption that serves my need to like be <laughs> quiet so I don't stick my foot in my mouth. Metanoia is a. St- I'm not really quite sure what the story here is. It centers around a caramet, but Simon and I were talking about this before this episode. We each read the description of the caramet multiple times and were very confused by them. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, to be fair, the Adheen are one of the really badly conceived and developed corners of dreaming so it's not like it's an easy thing to write a good one (laughs) it's it's not and there's some stuff in here with the caramet that talks about like being offered the option of like becoming part of the dreaming so i think what happened with this character is they were human recently lived their life and were offered hey you could become a caramet and so you die and you go to the dreaming instead of the underworld but like i i'm not i read it a couple times and it didn't quite click i think that's what happened yeah i i my my take on it was that like the caramet was out in the dreaming somewhere and like this character specifically that's in this story is like a possessed 
body. But I don't think that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not certain. I will say, once I sort of gave up on making sense of the Karamet, I got farther in, and this story sort of uses yew trees as a metaphor, and it, it talks about where yews are planted and their symbolism and their kind of connections to death to create a changeling race crossover kind of setting. And there's this particular location that I think does have a, a particular yew tree, and that's sort of the, the tree tie-in that's connected to Balorian trods. With the Karamet there, I assume Black Path of Balor, but they really just say Paths of Balor. I think they leave that, whether it's black, green, or gold, I think they leave that up to you. But there is a lot of explicit, here's how you could do a Wraith crossover. And I actually feel like this is an earlier draft of a really interesting crossover campaign. I just think this one needed a couple passes like with the author where it's like, okay, what are you trying to say here? Okay, I get it. You want to actually explicitly say X, Y, and Z to tie all this together. I, I feel like that's all that's really missing. Yeah, making it yeah. gel could be a pretty simple thing. I just have no idea what was being attempted, so I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the actual character write-ups that are shorter, this one is definitely not told through character write-ups. It is a it is a completely traditional sort of chronicle jumpstart format. The character write-ups are good. They're interestingly written characters. The whole setting with connecting the Black Trods, they do some interesting things. And the way they describe the Trods working that I like, they... Use what's clearly a like first edition Dante. They do kind of a weird thing where that character never crystallized, like almost crystallizes, but doesn't, but is a Dante, which it kind of works. I mean, the first edition Dante are all over the place, so poetic license there. I liked the Dante, though. I liked that sort of uh, take on things. There, there's a lot of really interesting pieces here. They just never quite come together in a single story in my mind. If the other ones are like Lego sets with instructions, this one's a little bit more like just kind of taking pieces you thought were neat and hoping they work together. Yeah, I I gotta say, I, I have a particular love for making an attempt at crossover, and I feel like Wraith and Changeling are particularly suited to crossover, I'd love to hear other people's take on this chapter and see if they feel differently about it. On the whole, I, it's still nicely laid out, it's attractive, and there are interesting hooks and inspirations here. But I don't feel like you'd walk away with this as the starting point for your campaign. You might just yeah. pull a couple things from it. Of the three sections of the book, this was the one where I noticed lots of see this other book going on, where the other ones felt more complete. I would definitely say that that's true. So this was all written by one person. It has a little some assembly required logo on the, the credits page. So it is meant to be a series of jumpstart artifacts. So with that as a framing, even chapter three sort of accomplishes that. And it's just not as polished as the other two, I think. Yeah, and 
again, that kind of goes back to having that point where you just need to finish a project and move on when you know you're not necessarily going to make a ton of money from it with the way the vault works. I have there. been there. Oh, man. I um, have no idea what you're talking about. I'm on my ninth month of this damn book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Also, uh, Memory of Trees is a mighty 30 pages long, which is actually pretty healthy for uh, a series of alt jump starts. And the book you're referencing is over 200. So, mm, <laughs> that's, yeah. The price for Memory of Trees is 328. And, you know, like I said, if you go out and listen to the episode where they said, hey, there's a discount if you listen to the podcast, I don't know how much the discount is, but this is one of the better values I found on the vault. Even with some of the critiques we had, that's a really good price for what you get here. I would say if you are really jonesing for interesting takes on Changeling just to read, there's some fun stuff to read here. If you want a good starting point for either a short Changeling Chronicle or even the beginning of something that could turn into a long-form Chronicle that you build out, it's a, it's a good starting point. I like it more as Chronicle Jumpstart than a lot of the other Jumpstarts and Chronicle pieces that I've actually seen from the line, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah, there's a lot here to, to capture the attention. What would you say your, your final overall impression of value is, Simon? As far as vault things go, it's on the higher end. I would, I mean, maybe I'm biased because I also have things on the vault, but I, I, I would pay up to five bucks for it. I'm inclined to agree, knowing how much time would go into putting together this volume of content. I would agree. I think I'd pay five dollars for this. Given where its price point is, it's a... Uh, it's an awfully good it's purchase. It's a bit of a steal. Yeah, it is. It's a bit of a steal. Well, that was another one of our little vault project we liked and wanted to review reviews. Thanks for listening to Walking Away from Arcadia. 